and welcome to the Industry 4.0 Community Podcast, hosted by 4.0 Solutions. I am your host with the most, Walker D. Reynolds. Today, this is a pre-recorded podcast for the, the summer sabbatical 2023. Today, our guests are Andy Hughes and Jerry Abbey from Plex Manufacturing Execution Systems, which is a recent acquisition of Rockwell Automation. Uh, Andy and Jerry, uh, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. So a little bit of backstory. So I, I gave the keynote address at Am Mass MEP um, a few weeks ago uh, while I was in Boston. Andy was in the audience. I don't, Jerry wasn't in the audience, right? It was just Andy, right? Right. Just so Andy, Andy was in the audience, and the former lieutenant governor of Massachusetts spoke directly before me. I think he's the president of the Chamber of Commerce in Mass now or something. And yeah, And yeah. he spoke directly before me, and he made a reference to – intellectuals and academics and the strength of academics in Massachusetts. And, and I pivoted my keynote to open with, I want to demonstrate, you know, how poor of a job academics and intellectuals do in conveying concepts and ideas to manufacturers. And so I asked basically three questions that we do ask most organizations anyway. One, and one of those questions, you know, what was, what is digital transformation? Andy happened to be the only person in the audience who raised his hand, he, he, he gave an answer. Andy and I spoke after the keynote address and we said, hey, why don't we, why don't you, he, he said, hey, I'm with Plex. I'm part of the Plex. Uh, I joined six, seven months ago and I'm, I was, I was post acquisition uh, from Rockwell Automation. And, um, and I said, dude, why don't we have you, have you on the podcast? Because Andy's relatively new. He invited Jerry, who's been with Plex for, I think, 12 years, correct, Jerry? A year and a half. Okay, yeah. year and a half, but you've been what the what I'm gonna do. I'll have you guys introduce yourselves so that way I don't I don't get it mixed up. So we'll start with Jerry. Jerry, get, get tell us a little bit about yourself, what your role is at Plex, and um, sort of what your background is. Sure. So I started with Plex during the acquisition. I was in my interview process, and my, the hiring manager goes to me. So things are going to be a little bit different than we talked about in the first interview. Uh, Rockwell just acquired Plex, and you're going to be part of a larger organization. And to be totally honest, I was absolutely pumped. I came from an organization that was 100 people, and I was looking for growth. And in my time, I've been able to experience a ton of growth. And I think we'll dive into it more later, but I went from product marketing manager to running our competitive win-loss and analyst relations all within the Plex business. And then a few weeks ago, I, I moved into running analyst relations, industry analyst relations for all of Rockwell. Um, so it's been a great journey and really excited to be here for our conversation today. Excellent. Awesome. And then Andy. Yeah, so I've been with Plex since December, and it was sort of a natural progression for me. So before this, I was in engineering simulation. And so I worked with uh, engineering teams, covered North America. So not only did we sell software, but we did all the consulting, even had a testing group under, um, under my group where we climbed um, wind turbines and, and put string gauges and accelerometers on just about anything you can think of from locks up at the St. Lawrence, you know, to a, a shaft that's um, mixing beer. So um, to find that, you know, whatever was working and what wasn't working. And then we would merge those two and do simulations from that test data that we got. 
So we were really involved in digital twins. And so that was, it was really a nice place and interesting place for me to be. Because prior to that, I was in product development for companies like Stanley Tools and Thule, who makes the the racks for your for your bicycle and your kayak. I devised devised a uh, a whole line of products for the contractor, so truck racks and toolboxes. And, and I always like you know working with manufacturing and and diving into the engineering side of it. And I've always been known as a marketing and sales guy that gets along with engineers, and they just said that's that's a rare commodity. So between all of that and the sales experience in the past, it's sort of worked through, and now it makes sense. So I get to <clears throat> work with the whole process from the beginning to the end. So your guys' backgrounds? So, you, Andy, you said that you're a, you're a business development guy who gets along with engineers. By the way, it is very rare. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you know engineers generally hate salespeople. It's always like... I don't want to talk to the business development guy. Give me your your product engineer. Like, you know, and it, it's we joke about it in our team all the time. But what what are y'all's backgrounds education wise? Um, did you are, are you combinations of, you know, business administration plus some technical background or is it or is it business, business admin or did you go technical and just move over to the business development side? We'll start with Andy. So I was um, more on the business side. And um, just a just a bachelor's degree, upstate New York. Um, did a lot of studying overseas, and then um, worked my way through. So with Stanley Tools, that was probably one of the best opportunities to work from, you know, the initial sales job all the way through to um, a VP of product development. So are you are you an uh, SU guy? I mean, you you strike me as like an SU guy. Uh, wh uh, where'd you no, go to school? No, actually, SUNY Oswego. Oh, you went my, to Oswego. I, I have friends who went to Oswego. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I have my, my master's is from SUNY is through the SUNY ecosystem. So I started out at SUNY Cortland doing my graduate work and then I finished at empire, but so I finished my master's online, but, and then Gary uh, or Jerry, you're, I have a brother named Jerry and it spells the same way as you. And I just called you Gary. And by the way, my brother hates when people do that. And my dad, who's also named Jerry. So I do apologize. Jerry, tell, tell us a little bit more about your background, kind of where you came from prior to coming into your roles. Cool. I'll try to keep this concise. It's meandering. <laughs> um, I graduated and ended up as a Fulbright scholar to Taiwan. I studied English education, literature, and writing, and took this research and teaching experience in Taiwan, taught English, did a bunch of educational research, absolutely loved it, and was thinking I was on a track for being a professor one day, really like in that mindset. But then I'd always wanted to write a book and I just built a bunch of experiences. So I spent some time writing a book, realized that if I pursued a PhD, went back to school, anything like that, teaching full time, I wouldn't write. And I did odd jobs. So I was traveling around, uh, waitering, bartending. I was in the Hamptons. I was in Fort Lauderdale, catching spring break, uh, just making money that way and having time to write. Then the Great Recession happened. I landed in Philadelphia and started working for my family business, which is plumbing and heating. My Most of my family are contractors of some form. And as I go through this, and I will keep it short, I, all of these experiences really helped me out when I came to Plex, and especially that one, because I come from this academic background, academic thinking, and didn't understand that the mechanical side of the brain is totally different. 
and I'd argue with my brother while doing pretty much a true apprenticeship, working with him every day, about where the pipes were supposed to go. I was like, that is straight, and that's the way it's supposed to go. And he would be like, dude, look around. If they want to put an addition in, if they want to add another utility over here, if they want to break out a room, you need to have a large, long vision of what this space could be and how your decisions are going to impact the changes this homeowner, this business are going to make. And that was such a powerful lesson to understand thinking differently. Um, from there, a series of other experiences, lots of learning, went into another software company for 12 years before I came to Plax and Rockwell um, and learned a ton along the way. But I don't want to drag this down with a whole bunch of personal experience. Wait, when you talk about the academic piece, part of my story, I, I tell this, this story about, you know, I was the first person to go in to go to college in my family. I'm, I'm adopted. And there were five kids in my adopted family. Um, and three of them were brothers and sisters. And then two of us were brothers. And we were merged together in this adopted family. And, you know, I grew up dirt poor. Grew up in a trailer park in upstate New York. You know, I watched, you know, Andy and I are probably relatively close in age. So we saw that if you, you were probably at SUNY Oswego just as the manufacturing exodus was beginning in the 80s. And, um, you know, I saw it with my own eyes, like the negative impact of manuf the manufacturing exodus. I mean, I literally neighborhoods that were middle class and upper middle class in just two or three years, blight set in. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, people went from making really, really good income to working at gas stations and on farms. Like when the manufacturers left, there was nothing to fill the vacuum. And so I saw with my own eyes this like the impact of losing a vibrant manufacturing sector has on the economy. Right. And obviously from from industry, you move over to service, right? If we look at the progressions of economies, you move more into a service-based economy. We're kind of coming full circle now. Service and industry are merging together, right? This is why we're seeing an explosion in onshoring, right? Because now service is always post, used to be post-manufacturing, post-creation of goods. Well, now service is part of the creation of the good and the, and the PLM cycle. That is the, the, the continuous improvement of the good by collecting data off that good after we get it in the customer's hands. So this is why industry four is so important. The idea that we turn companies into data companies. But one of the things that I, that really stood out to me after I graduated from college, I learned that in college, right? I learned the thing that made everyone, why is it that everyone got poor, you know, and, um, and all the stuff, the social stuff we see today is a man is an extension of the decline of the middle class, right? I mean, that's all the stuff we see today in our society is a is a direct um, extension of the decline of the middle class, which is why it's important, you know, which is why saving and creating middle class jobs matters to me. Right. So I learned in college what actually happened. And then when I after I graduated, I threw my own graduation party. My father comes. He says, you know, I'm really proud of you. And he pats me on the back and he says, you know, you set the example for your brothers and sisters. He says, but I'm here to tell you nothing you learned in school makes a bit of difference in the real world. He said, you have a foundation that you're going to start a new job on Monday. You have a foundation that your, your coworkers won't have, but you don't know anything. So on Monday, when you go in, your job is to go in as, as a learner. 
You're going to find somebody who's got 30, 35 years of experience. They don't have your education and you're going to learn everything from them because they know what the problems are. And that was some of the greatest advice my father ever gave me because I looked at the other, the college, the college educated kids who came out, you know, I graduated, you know, I, I mean, I had a 4.0 GPA. I, you know, I full ride all through school. I'm a smart guy, right? I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I run the risk of thinking I'm smarter than everyone else around me all the time. I, I run that risk. And when I went into manufacturing, I went in thinking I knew nothing because my dad told me to think that way. And it made all the difference. All the other college kids came in thinking they knew what was best, right? They knew, oh, you guys are idiots. You're pedantic. You're whatever. Um, so let me, and, and, and so that is carried over out throughout my entire career. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, guys. So you guys are both with Plex. You're both relatively new. You have a year and a half. You have seven months. Have you got Plex is a manufacturing execution system. What I'll do is have you guys go ahead and tell us, tell the world, okay, what is Plex actually? Okay. And, and then I'm going to dig a little bit on the manufacturing execution piece because, you know, well, let's start out here. Manufacturing execution system is not a thing. Like if you, if I say MES and I, you define MES and you put it on a board for customer A, and then you define MES and you put it on a board for customer B, they may mean the same thing. They may not mean the same thing. You know, manufacturing execution is basically the core four, <clears throat> you know, downtime, tra state downtime tracking, OEE calculation, work order and scheduling. That's your four core four MES. And then there's another hundred possible options. Recipe management could be in there, quality, digital quality control, you name it. So mm -hmm. whereas when you say SCADA between customer A and customer B, it's always the same thing, right? I mean, it's always supervisor control and data acquisition. So with that foundation. Do you guys want to go ahead and go ahead and tell us what Plex actually is? It's Plex manufacturing execution system. It's cloud-based. That's what our audience knows. But what actually is it? I, I can jump in and just give a little bit of a history to this. So back in the 90s, you know, when there was um, a person who was doing operations, because this is what happened in the 90s, um, there was some IT work that needed to be done. Whoever raised their hand, usually the operations guy is the guy who became the new IT guy. That's right. And so that, that was happening with a parts manufacturer that was supplying Ford and the other, um, the other um, members of the big three. Um, <clears throat> they were not doing well. They were actually um, hiring helicopters to bring their product to Ford so they did not miss you know, their time, their delivery time when they got there, so they didn't want to get the fines with that. So it got that bad that the head of operations went to the owner and put in his resignation, and instead of accepting it, he challenged him, and he said, I'll give you this amount of time and this much money, you develop a system. And so he laid out a full system, which was the start of Plex um, ERP. So this was, a, this was a tier one. So this, this was a tier, a tier one. one. Okay, got it. Right. right. So developed this. And um, just to speed this up, they, they brought their delivery times, you know, up to 98, 99%. Everything started running smoothly because they had the data at all times. They could see where everything was from WIP, working with their suppliers all the way through the process. They knew what was there so they could make good decisions. Um, it got to the point where Ford came back and said, would you come in and teach our other suppliers what you've done so they can start performing as well as you have? So they were doing that, and it became a point like this is probably a better business model than what it was doing before. So they started um, Plex, 
and it was initially an ERP system, an ERP system only, the full ERP. Right. And that, um, that continued mostly in the automotive business for quite some time, um, a couple of decades. Um, and then it got to the point where we wanted to branch out, go into a lot of different industries. And we realized that um, the issue out there for people wanting to get you know, into the cloud and to get a better hold on their business is not just selling a full ERP system, but to break it out into a component so you can buy an MES system from Plex. And now you can actually see what's going on through the whole process. You know, from the top floor to the shop floor, you can make good decisions because you've got the data and it's real-time data. We've also got, you know, a quality of QMS system. But I think we want to focus on MES because even if you have a quality system, it's like holding a laptop next to what you're working on. And if you key in that information, you know exactly what's happening. But when you have the MES, you can put guidelines in there. So if something occurs, something else has to happen. And that worker at that station is not able to do that next thing until he does that first thing. And that's where MES really comes in and, and adds control. And probably the, the best part of it is that it's really ERP agnostic. So we can go out and work with any ERP with the MES system that we have. So, Jerry, would you describe Plex as MES-centric that extends out to other functions? Or would you describe it as ERP-centric that extends out to other functions of which MES has the greatest potential? How would you describe that? Or would you describe it some other way? That's a great question, Walker. Um, and I think it depends who you're talking to. But it, in general, it's it's a system that has a great expansive MES and also brings those ERP capabilities for an organization as needed. And just to add on to what Andy said, and one of the things that I work on is our state of smart manufacturing report. It's a global report this year, a collective feedback from 1,353 manufacturers across the 13 largest uh, manufacturing countries. And some of the findings, and they're not dissimilar from other published reports, are around how you manage with the worker situation today. Right. And that meaning that baby boomers are retiring. Look at statistics, roughly 10,000 a month. Digital natives are coming in and organizations are struggling with that balance. How do you capture knowledge retention? How do you bring people on board? How do you attract digital natives went up the street, Wendy's is offering a 401k paid vacation, free meals and tuition reimbursement at 21.50 an hour. It's, it's a very difficult market. And one of the biggest things is having an MES, having technology that as Andy said, you have a screen next to you, you can interpret what's happening, you feel a part of it and you can say, hey, wherever you are in the organization, especially on the line, if we make this change, it's going to improve our efficiency. Right. And I can show you because I have the data right here and everybody has access to it. And that's what it, Plex really brings, that liberation of data, unsiloing, connecting people and helping your organization advance. Let, let me ask you, that, how, how old are you, Jerry, if you don't mind me asking? Are you in, in your 40s yet? 42. Okay, so you're, we're all, all three of us are basically in the same generation, right? So I, I actually, Andy heard this in my keynote where, you know, turnover rate, when I came out of college as a Gen Xer and you went into manufacturing, 
Okay. The turnover rate for our generation at one year was 11%. Okay. So that is 89% kept the job for one year. Okay. Today with Gen Z's and millennials, it is 49% at six months, not at one year. 40, it is a 51% turnover rate in manufacturing at the six month mark, except when you look at Tesla, Volkswagen, North America, Amazon, the most advanced, if you look at the top 10 digitally mature companies in the world, they, the top 10, it, we have a data set of 1,386, I think now, the top 10, their turnover rate is what we saw at, as Gen Xers. And the question is why? Are they just better at recruiting? Are they better at retention? I would argue they're not any better at recruiting at all. Okay, they're not any better at recruiting. They're interviewing the same number of Gen Z's and millennials. They're interviewing the same quality of Gen Z's and millennials. The difference is the retention. And the question is why? And the answer is enablement. You call them, uh, I remember what you called the digital, whatever term you use for, what is it? Digital natives. Digital natives. I, what I refer to them as is the, the employee of the future. The, the people yeah. who were born solving their own problems. You know, and I use this example also in my keynote address. When I was 21 years old, I would call my father four times a week to have him help me solve some problem. Dad, how do I fix the faucet? Dad, how do I fix the dryer? Whatever it is, how, which wad do I use to reload the shell? I have three sons, 24, 19, and 15. The 15-year-old turns 16 next month. Do you know how often my kids ask me for help to solve a problem? Never. I mean, and when I say never, that's not hyperbole. It is they never ask me. So if you think about it, I talk to my dad four times a week. They never ask their father to solve a problem. And we work together. We live together. We are together all the time, all day long. It's not like we're on opposite ends of the country. And the answer is if you're not – and the correlation here is – Employment hasn't changed, though. Like manufacturing, if you look at a manufacturing facility today, 90% of manufacturers look exactly the same way they did 30 years ago. Most kids, when young people, they walk into a facility, they feel like they went 50 years into the past. And the question we always ask is, organizations, what tools are you providing this next generation of worker to solve their own problems? That, that has to be the question you ask. And it's amazing to me how many executives don't have an answer for that. You know, we call it the recruitment and retention of the employee of the future. Um, Jerry, let me ask you this. Jerry, Andy, how does Plex, I'm assuming the intimation here is that Plex <clears throat> can help fill that void. It can be the tool that you give to the employee of the future to help solve their own problems and solve the, and by extension, solve the business's problems. How does Plex do that? I can throw the first one out here. And I think it's, you, you said enablement, I would say, um, you know, empowerment to, to see what their impact is on the whole. And so when you have all of the data available to everyone, instead of just looking at my machine and looking at the pile of product that I made today, I can see what impact that has on, on sales. I can see how that's affecting the whole company. And I can look at that same amount of data, you know, 10 different ways as an employee on that machine. And I think that makes you, you part of a whole and people stick around more when they're part of a whole, when they have an impact on the business. And with that data too, I think it's easier for people to, to uptrain 
um, and to you know come into that job a lot quicker so they feel more productive and they feel better about what they're doing what 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 data is that so just to just a, a quick follow-up when you when you talk about data can you give examples are, are we talking OEE are we talking status according to plan are we talking cycle time is there is there any specific data points you'd like to highlight that Plex provides or um, is it just data in general um, everything you just mentioned is available. So obviously you've got the ability to, to limit what different people see. Mm -hmm. um, so the CEO may have a completely different report than just say, you know, the manager for, you know, a certain cell. Um, but yeah, you can see, um, you would be able to look at the OEE. You're going to be able to see what's happening, you know, for shipments going out, you can actually, we can create portals to suppliers and, and out to our customers. And you can even and see how it's impacting, you know, the, the entire process. Jerry, you, so you were with Plex before the acquisition. So I, I want to kind of pivot. Let's talk about the Rockwell acquisition. So with this, I want to jump, jump, drop a couple of caveats. So for the audience, I did prep Andy and Jerry before to let them know sort of, hey, I have a reputation of being very hard on Rockwell. And, you know, there are things about Rockwell I love. I absolutely love and I use Rockwell's products. Um, it's more how critical I am of connected enterprise. I did let them know, hey, you know, just for you guys, just so you guys know, I am, I do believe I have a responsibility to hold um, large organizations accountable to serve the market the best they possibly can. Um, number two, um, and something that my audience probably doesn't know is that I do get hired by um, market analysts. So um, market analysis firms, uh, specifically based out of New York City, will hire me to come in and evaluate acquisition strategies. So this happens quite a bit. It turns out that the Plex acquisition was one of the acquisitions I consulted on. I didn't know until the very end that it was Plex, but I was part of that acquisition. My recommendation, I actually had good things to say about Plex, by the way. Um, and there were, and, and interestingly, in my uh, meeting with the, the firm, uh, I, I did talk about, you know, the shift away from ERP and more towards MES because that's actually where the business takes place. It's not in ERP. The business actually happens on the plant floor. So uh, you want something that sort of merges together events on the plant floor with uh, strategies from the, the overall business. Jerry was there pre-acquisition. So what I want to talk about is what was that process like, Jerry? So you had mentioned real quick that, hey, you found out sort of real late that this acquisition was taking place, but what was the acquisition like, number one? And then number two, you know, what, what was it, what is it like to be part of an acquisition? How does your job change? How, how many unknowns are there? How effective are organizations at communicating the future, what the future is going to be like, that kind of stuff. But then also, um, how has the focus at Plex shifted post-acquisition? Right. Great question, Walker. Um, so to give a little background, I've been in previous acquisitions. My previous company was all, almost purchased by Excel KKR. That fell through like the day of. Okay. Leading up to that, it was a huge strain on resources, super stressful for all employees. It was a really difficult thing on culture and productivity. And then it was later acquired by another organization that was super hands-off and let things flow. This experience with Plex going into Rockwell is the smoothest process I've ever been a part of or ever seen. Um, 
you asked about uncertainties. There, there is uncertainty, and there are definitely and have been pieces around where you're feeling like you're building the airplane while you're flying it. <laughs> that is something that I wanted to be a part of. And I think that's what, when we go back to thinking about recruiting workers today, that's what people want. They want to take ownership. And that ownership was given to employees to drive the change forward, not a top-down saying, this is what you do because you're part of us. People don't want to, this generation doesn't want a job. They want a mission. Like the communication needs to be mission. They don't want a job. They want a mission. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And I feel and have felt throughout this very mission driven. And it's been a collective driving forward to not just adopt a new culture, but to develop a new culture because we're an organization that is changing and modernizing to meet the needs of today, to address the worker issues of today, to be able to recruit people in and get them passionate about the business at hand. And it has been inspiring. Like I introed, I've shifted roles a few times since joining and seeing that opportunity, being able to dive into it and seize it, it's absolutely fantastic. And I can't speak for everyone, but I can say that everybody I speak to has a similar passion, interest, and enablement to be able to contribute and drive change in a positive way. How has Plex changed? So Plex was more or less, it was ERP. You know, the, the traditionally, if you said Plex, you were really talking about Plex ERP. But from a branding perspective, or not even just branding, I think it's a focus perspective. If you look at Plex at Rockwell, Plex is manufacturing execution. Right? In fact, I don't think you can even find the word ERP anywhere in Rockwell's official marketing when it comes to Plex, although Plex traditionally was ERP, now it's manufacturing execution. One of the things that we talk about in our community, you know, we have a very large community. I think our total addressable audience, unique audience, is about 70,000 people per month. So 70 unique individuals view our content every single month. Um, and, you know, we have a huge Discord server, 5,000 people. We have 10,000 people within our IIoT.university. Um, the general consensus in our community is um, that acquisition is bad. Now, I don't personally believe acquisition is bad. I don't think all acquisition is bad. But the general consensus is, is when you're evaluating a vendor, say there's a new emerging vendor on, the, you know, um, inductive automation comes out with Ignition <clears throat> and they're early on, they're five years in. One of the questions you would ask them before you make an investment in their platform is, what is your business strategy? Are you, are you building to sell or are you building for the long term? It's one of the first questions everyone asks because acquisition scares people, scares the consumer. What does the acquisition mean? How is it going to change? How is licensing going to change, et cetera? So two things for both Andy and Jerry. Number one, how has Plex changed post-Rockwell acquisition? Both good and bad. It would be helpful if we, we validate good by telling the bad, right? Or we, we, you know, we, we give credence to good when we also acknowledge whatever the negatives were. I would imagine the, probably the biggest negative is Rockwell is an enormous organization. How do you manage all the moving parts? Yeah, I mean, there, I'm sure lack of communication has got to be one of them because there's just too many moving parts. But um, that's number one. How has it changed? But number two, do you want to make the case for acquisition? specifically, here's, here's how Plex customers benefit from Rockwell acquiring Plex. 
And we'll start with Andy. Yeah, so, yeah, that's great. Um, I'm seeing an energy and it just an overall boost of the, of the mood of the culture of the company at Plex since I've come in. And if you think about it for Plex, if they were an ERP company mostly in the automotive industry in you know, the middle of the country, and we were expanding out with the acquisition of Rockwell, now we can work with all of these companies, alternate locations around the globe because we have support for that. And we can go out and we can work and start business globally, where before we were pretty restricted geographically. We could do it, but but now we've really built that out. And we've you're got the about, resources. You're talking about Plex proper. You're talking about Plex specifically. About Plex proper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Plex proper. So we're able to expand out, and we've got the resources that have merged into the Rockwell business and are training up additional Rockwell people to support Plex, and we're doing that globally. So for us, it's very exciting. So one day I'm working on a deal that's in Connecticut, but the next day I'm working on one in Italy. Um, so so it's, it's very good from that point of view. From Rockwell's point of view, you know, they've got a cloud-based system. They're, they're jumping, they're kind of leaping ahead, really, into 4.0 by, by the acquisition. So I think that's that's the real benefit for yeah. From it's both funny if you if you look at the two last biggest partnerships. So let me be an advocate for Rockwell here for just a moment, oh. um, uh, which I generally am not. I generally my my message is I love Asset Center. I wish Rockwell would do everything the way they did Factory Talk Asset Center. Right. Um, I uh, in general, you know, the the issue that I have with. Rockwell is really more the channel system, actually. I think it's more, it's the philosophy of the connected enterprise, but then it's the channel partner system because I feel like it's it's overly rigid. It's it's not very agile. I think that's generally what my criticism has been. But let me be positive for Rockwell for a second. If you look at the last two major partnerships, one which was just a purely strategic partnership with PTC, billion-dollar investment, bring in the ThingWorks platform as Factory Talk Innovation Suite, Right, that was a huge investment that Rockwell made in PTC. The upside of that investment, I've talked a lot about the downside. Let's talk about the upside. The upside of that investment was that it closed a, an enormous gap in Rockwell's digital offering. Okay, I mean, through that strategic partnership, it closed an enormous gap, and they were able to catch up basically a decade just through a $1 billion investment. The second is this, this um, Plex acquisition and the fact that they've pivoted to MES because it closed the other glaring gap, okay? Yeah. And that is, you know, f factory talk manufacturing execution system has not traditionally been considered a, a very solid offer. It's not a best-in-class offering. It hadn't gen generally been considered a best-in-class. Whereas if I, you know, what I've looked at with Plex manufacturing execution system, it's very similar to the Tulip approach, the litmus automation approach. There's, it, it is very much bleeding edge, right? It is not legacy technology. It is very much bleeding edge approach. Um, and I think it fits very well in the Rockwell ecosystem. The question is from Rockwell, is Rockwell going to take connected enterprise open? That is, are they going to make it easier to play well outside of the Rockwell ecosystem? But we'll table that discussion, right? So to you, to you, Jerry, the same question that I asked Andy, that is, you know, what make the case for acquisition, but also how have things changed at Plex 
post-acquisition. So you said to talk a bit about negativity. Yes. I do not have much, but I'll start with that. The uncertainty. So things are not laid out. There is no map for acquisition. There is strategy that we're trying to figure out as we go. And that, honestly, I also look as a positive thing because the open minds are entering the conversations to adapt, get inputs with our customer advisory board, our customers everywhere we can get them, talk to industry analysts and help really bring that outside in perspective that I'm pretty sure has been difficult at times in the past, but we're trying to lean into hard now. And some of the things that have changed is that Plex was an acquisition for a product, a great product that we're talking about, native to the cloud, entered the cloud in 2001. Like, how many people knew what the cloud was in right. 2001, let yep. alone launching a product? Right. Most, and- most people don't know that there has not been a full-scale rebuild of Plex from the ground up in order to be cloud, right? Mm-hmm. The, the approach was cloud-centric from the beginning. Plex was multi-tenant before anyone even knew what multi-tenant was. But go ahead, Jerry. Sorry. Exactly. So also an acquisition for talent. So our leaders in engineering and product, in sales, in marketing, have moved into leadership roles within Rockwell to help bring this acquisition strategy together. Decades and decades of software experience, best-in-class approach to synthesizing brand going to market, bringing these pieces together. So you touched on the acquisitions. We also had Fix, which is OEE-focused, and Calypso, which is services arm, and being able to tie them together so that we can bring more of a best-in-class offering and then overlaying Flex MES with Factory Talk Production Center so that we're meeting the needs of the MES market where you have configurable cloud, or you have on-premise very specific needs, but trying to bring that together so that we have a comprehensive offering and looking for ways that we can tie varied pieces together like Plex MES with a factory talk batch to meet the needs of process manufacturers and also pull in Calypso to program manage and tie in sustainability goals, have fix in there, leverage our AI ML capabilities So there are a lot of pieces that are coming together. There is uncertainty in areas, and there's going to be testing, breaking things, and customers will not always be perfectly happy. But leading with that questioning mentality, putting the right people in the right positions, and really guiding forward with an acknowledgement that there's the best in class out there and that's where we want to be, has really, I think, produced a lot of good and far more good than anything else. Well, let me let me say this to the audience. Normally what I would be asking people on platforms is, you know, how do I get it? How much does it cost, right? How do I integrate it? I would normally, both, neither Andy nor Jerry are, they can answer how do I get it and, and they can answer generally how much does it cost. But the integration piece, we we agreed beforehand, that's not their expertise. So we're not gonna talk about what is the, we could talk about what the onboarding experience is, I guess, but we can't talk about, you know, how do you connect to equipment? How do you transform data? How do you access that data? You know, let's say Plex is calculating overall equipment effectiveness. How do I ex- access that externally? We have, we've agreed to stay away from those discussions because that isn't 
their domain expertise. Okay, so I'm not avoiding the question altogether. It's just that's not the topic of this discussion for the audience. Okay, so because I think the audience is generally accustomed to me asking those questions. So the unique offering. So this is the ultimately the question I want to get into. I want to talk a little bit about landing and expand and stuff. So I, I did try to go and part of the acquisition, here's an example of the bump in the road with acquisition. You know, Rockwell has been, I don't know if any, most people know this, but Rockwell has moved to a, like a software subscription portal system that didn't used to be the case. Like Rockwell, you would generally have to go through a channel partner to do anything with software. You don't, you don't have to do that. If you have a Rockwell login, there's many pieces of software that Rockwell offers that you can just go ahead and, you know, you can, you can use the software, download the software, buy the software, zero, zero touch on their portal. Plex is not there on the portal yet. So right now, if I wanted to try Plex, right, for example, how do I do that? I mean, do I, do I have to call a channel partner? Do I, what is that, what does that onboarding process look like, especially for somebody who's only considering using Plex for say a proof of concept, right? And then the follow-up to that is let's talk about the differentiators of Plex manufacturing execution so that we can do an apples to apples comparison. So either of you can answer, how do we onboard? How do I even get started? Well, you can call me and okay. <laughs> So, so Andy, um, let's say, Andy, let's say I've called you and I say, Andy, mm -hmm. I've got a demo board over here that's running a simulated manufacturing process. And I just want to I want to use Plex manufacturing execution to build a simulated manufacturing environment using this test board I've got over here. Uh, how would we do that? Is I that possible? Probably, I, will, I will disappoint you in the short run and make you much more pleased in the long run because okay. what, what we're going to do is go through a process. And in the in the first meeting is probably going to be three hours of discovery questions of, you know, what is the pain? And you can say all our processes are manual. We want to go in and have a digitized process. And I'll say, you know, that that's great. Why? And, you know, and, and just keep digging in and find out what the real issues are. Um, so if there if there's nothing to solve or possibly there's some processes that we may not be, you know, the best suited for, you may, you know, we may be right. We may not be right. We're going to walk through that before we, you know, both put a lot of energy into it and make sure that we're a very good fit for you. And um, you can find out exactly everything that we're going so to I do. I just want to look at here. Here's the most common um, pain point. You know, we, it, our strategy is generally, you know, what do you think your problem is when we're talking to a client? What, what do you think your problem is? And then based on my expertise, what is a problem you have you're not aware of? And we try to solve both on, in the same right. infrastructure. Right. So let's in generally what they say their problem is. I don't have insight into I don't have insight into current state. I want to be able to monitor my assets. I don't have insight into what my actual downtime is. I don't have insight into efficiency. I also don't have insight into what I'm running when. Like I want to see which work orders are running on which machines at which time. So let's say that those generic problems are the problems I have and I want to do that. Maybe I, I want to do it in my facility that's only got 16 assets on the floor. What is the onboarding? So in, we've had that discussion. I'm assuming you would Plex would be a good fit for a facility that's got 16 assets who wants to look at current state, what would it look like? What would, what would that, in, I'm going to, you're going to onboard me somehow and eventually we're going to get access to the software and what's that going to be like? All right. So we are going to go through a, a solution process to make sure that we're the best 
bit and we're going to do um, a discovery and we're going to do a demo to walk you through exactly what it's going to look like. We're going to okay. be looking at an implementation program. We're going to do a discovery and a workshop on that, on what the time is going to take and what type of involvement we're going to have from your side. And do we have executive buy-in to make sure that we can pull these people to, you know, to help and assist along the way. What we want to do is train you. So if you have multiple facilities, we can come in and we can walk you through the first one, but then you're trained up and you can do it, you know, on your, your other locations on your own to save a lot of money. We'll be there to support that, but we want to try to help in any way we can. We also probably do a, a whole value workshop to help give you the information to go to your executive team, you know, to understand what the real savings are and to identify a lot of areas that you probably haven't identified yourself that you're missing out on. Um, that you could be doing that much better. So once we have those agreements in place, we will lay out, um, just say for MES, maybe it's a five to six month process of how we will walk through your plant and how we will implement the whole program. Um, Jerry, what are the dif differentiators of Plex? You know, if I, you know, in the MES space, you know, you've got cloud-based solutions, you've got Tulip out there, you've got I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, right? Uh, there's a lot of solutions out there right now. Why, why would I, why pick Plex manufacturing execution over anything else? Even, even one of Rockwell's PTC partners uh, or PTC, one of Rockwell's partners has, has a cloud-based manufacturing execution solution that I would argue is not fully comprehensive, but it is MES. It'll do the core four. How do you differentiate? How do I decide with to go with Plex over enter in, you know, other cloud-based competitor? Great question. So a couple of keys that we've touched on that native cloud environment. We've always been in the cloud. Nothing is force fit. Most of our competitors are a bit force fit. And beyond that, security. Because we were in the cloud so early, we've always focused on security, being as secure as possible. If you look at stats out there, manufacturing is at the top or near the top of ransomware attacks, malware attacks. Manufacturers can't afford those interruptions when you're thinking about tight margins and downtime. And you need a system that is going to instill confidence and mitigate risk for your organization. So those are two top of mind ones, but there's also other differentiators, like some of the things Andy was touching on, the way we come in and build out a discovery session, we use your data in demos. We have solution engineers with decades of experience in industry that go and research your organization. So what they, when they walk in, they're picking out different areas where we might be able to help immediately. They're asking, hyper-specific questions about functionality and where you might be needing to drive outcomes. And that team is really good at digging in and understanding, like Walker, like you said, yeah, you're telling me what the problems are, but what are the problems that you're not seeing and how do we get those stakeholders in this room so that we're not fitting in for one small piece. We're addressing your overall need because that's what you need and that's what any organization out there should be doing if they're coming in to offer you a solution. And I could go on all day, but the last one that's really top of mind is the ability to be a one-stop shop and grow with your organization. 
Now that we're part of Rockwell, we have 120 years of history behind us. We expect to have 120 or more ahead. And we are building that out now to adapt for the future. And we are going to bring it to your organization because we don't want you to just buy our solution. We want you to grow. We want you to grow profitably. And we want you to grow profitably from our support. And that comes out of tying together software, hardware, services, and a strategic partner ecosystem so that if we're not perfectly fit for a part of something you need, we're bringing that strategic partner in that we already work with and have the integrations together, the APIs that are going to make it work, and tie it together so that you're dealing with one unified focused team. I was at a Gartner conference two weeks ago, and they were talking about how there's 500,000 technology providers out there, another 11,000 new ones this year. With that kind of environment to go out and buy a technology for your organization when you're having a hard time even identifying the core problem, it can be overwhelming. And we're trying to be that organization they can come to, ask the questions, have the guidance, and build and grow and be a partnership together. So Gartner will talk about I'm also very, very hard on Gartner. So um, I own many companies. So I, I do have insight. You know, Gartner tries to get me to pay to get my companies listed in their stuff too, right? And, you know, when I told my community, you know, they basically sent me the thing. It cost you, you know, whatever, $250,000 will get you in this, you know, in this group or whatever. And when I told our community, I said, you know, I, Gartner does good, right? There's a huge investment and there's a lot of research that Gartner does that's that's good, but it's not all good. Our community, when you say Gartner, I think in general, when you say Gartner in a boardroom, people's eyes perk up and they're like, ah, that seems valid and legitimate. Within our community, it is, it's much more, the approach is definitely skeptical. It is, I'm going to take what Gartner says with a grain of salt. It's like IoT analytics. I'm going to take what IoT analytics says with a grain of salt because anything that's I don't want to say it's fully pay per play, pay per play because it's for play because it's not. But there, there is a there are real questions about whether or not Gartner points people in the right direction. There are platforms in their magic quadrants that belong there, and there are platforms that don't belong there by any objective measure. You could not subjective any objective standard. You could say, yeah, these this is ridiculous. These three here do not belong here. Clearly, there was you know. Um, and I have to say that, by the way, if, if I didn't say it, if you brought up Gartner and I didn't say that, I would get absolutely hammered in the comments by my community. So um, let me ask you guys this question. I, actually, I want to ask Andy this. So when I get you sat for the whole keynote address, right? And, and I'm a huge fan of conflict theory. I'm a, I, I'm a pure believer in conflict theory. Get people emotional, right? Figure out who gets pissed off at you and filter them out, right? I said a third of you in here are probably going to hate me, think I'm a dick. And... I want to know who those people are so I don't invest any time in that third, right? And then the right. two thirds that it resonates, I want to invest my time. I'm a huge fan of conflict theory. You, what was your takeaway from that keynote? You sat through the whole thing. Obviously, there aren't a lot of keynote. You know, pe most people don't give their addresses that way. I, I, I recognize that. What was your primary takeaway from the keynote? What, was there anything that you learned that stood out? Was there anything that I, you wish I had covered that I did not? Um, obviously you agreed to come on the podcast, so hopefully it resonated relatively well, but what, what was your takeaway from that keynote for those who didn't get a chance to attend it? So I walked away with 
with everything that I sort of wanted to walk away from. But what really shocked me, I guess, Walker, is that people are so far behind in the goal towards 4.0. Um, there is a desire. Everybody says they want to. No one's taking action to get there. And the more questions you ask, the further back you find them. You were talking earlier about manufacturing hasn't changed. And I think that was proof that manufacturing hasn't changed. You were looking for their digital strategy. No one in the room could say what their plan was. Um, so I think there's a lot of companies out there that need help. And they need to be pushed because if they don't, they're not going to be here for very long. Because Which, Here was yeah. a point, uh, something I wanted to follow up on that real quick, and I'll let you finish. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it, there's been a lot of announcements over the last couple of months, right? Ford, General Motors, Volvo, um, BMW, um, you, you name it. Josh knows all of them. It's a half dozen companies now have all announced in the last eight weeks that they are joining Tesla's supercharger network, okay? Right. Uh -huh. And and that they're moving to the NAC NACS standard for their electric vehicles, okay? Uh -huh. I think the average manufacturer, the one that doesn't have a digital strategy, who doesn't understand the impact of digital, looks at that and doesn't think that those announcements are big deals, okay? Right. I look at that and I say, holy shit, that is such, these are such huge announcements. Here's why. In order for you to charge your vehicle through Tesla's supercharger network, you have to be onboarded in Tesla's digital ecosystem. So if you are a Ford customer, in order for you to charge your vehicle on a Tesla supercharger, you are going to be an entry in Tesla Warp, which is Tesla's digital ecosystem. The idea that Ford, General Motors, now Volvo, who just announced it, would openly hand over all their clients, all their electric vehicle customers mm -hmm. to a competitor, okay, is mind-blowing. It's literally the equivalent of Rockwell giving their CRM to Schneider. Like, it's, imagine you did, that's what those announcements mean. Because Tesla is a fully digital company. Like, mm -hmm. there's, there's no, there's no abstraction. When you pull your vehicle up, like, I don't think most people understand. It's not just electricity going out uh, in, in that charging cable. <laughs> it isn't just electricity. Like you are literally, these are companies that are literally saying we are handing over our electric vehicle customers to Tesla. That's literally what these announcements mean. It's mind boggling. It's, 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 it, 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 and the, and the, and the manufacturer who's not digital can't see it. Right. They, they don't all they see it as is, oh, wait, I'm going to pull a car up. I'm going to plug it in and there's going to be no connection like, no, your every one of those customers will now be listed inside of Tesla Warp. <laughs> Literally every single client, their payment, their travel habits, everything. It's mind blowing. Um, the Jerry, the you know, to Andy's point here, we talked about. Um, he was surprised. You know, I, I actually just shot a podcast yesterday with uh, this guy named Tom Norbert, who is the director of digital transformation for a really large Swedish company. I think, you know, 120 manufacturing sites uh, globally. They're in the polymer business. And in one of the things that I said in the keynote was that, you know, three years ago, if you were, 
if you were within the two standard deviations below the mean on digital maturity, you still had a chance to catch up. But in this keynote address, I said, because of the advent of the fifth industrial revolution with ChatGPT last fall, now if you're in the bottom half, there's no chance for you. Now that doesn't mean in absolute terms, you couldn't possibly catch up, but the, the amount of money you would have to invest to catch up is, is gonna outweigh the, the, the benefit. So you have all these companies that are in the bottom half of digital maturity who are literally either gonna be going bankrupt or they're gonna get acquired. We're gonna see an explosion in M&A. I mean, absolute explosion. To Andy's point, A, do you agree that yes, there are lots and lots of manufacturers out there who just, they're still oblivious, no strategy, no idea. They just know the buzzword and that's it, number one. And number two, what should those companies do? Let's say you're one of those companies. What do you do? What's, what is step number one in your perspective? Oof. It's a huge problem. And I think step number one is just trying to get educated and take a move forward. And there's so many different opportunities to move forward out there. And that report I mentioned earlier, our state of smart manufacturing report, it's conducted by a third party. It's unbiased. We are not influencing the results in any way. It's going back to your Gardner comments. So this is totally separate. Um, it, it talks about where manufacturers are feeling and focuses in on how they're feeling behind the competition because of where they are in their technology adoption. So just validating everything we're talking about. But then it goes on and identifies technology as the way forward. So tech manufacturers are acknowledging they feel behind. They're acknowledging that technology is the way forward. And I think those are really good data points for people being open to change. And then there are other data points in here where we're seeing manufacturers actually move forward. They're looking at a modular strategy that is a low, low drain on resources, low drain on budget. So they're able to take incremental investments, there you go. not have to absorb too many people's time and start with like production monitoring yep. or a quality management system or asset performance management, just something that can get deployed quickly and help you build that ROI and payback so that you can build and take some time for your digital transformation, which is such an overused word, like business transformation, your digitization, however you want to call it. Don't let us containerize you in something, all you listeners, but just moving forward in digital so that you are showing investment in your company, which has so many benefits, especially going back to attracting the next generation of workers who want to see a screen, an investment in technology, something where they can be a part of the process where data is accessible, things are unsiloed, and you can move forward. I, to your point on the buzzwords, that here's some advice, totally separate from this discussion, but this is what I encourage clients and a member of our community, you know, the, the folks who are at IOT.university, all the people who we talk to, they'll say, how do I weed out, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are good talkers, like, how do I, how do I know who to listen to, right? You know, I say, before you ever speak, you should ask yourself four questions. Number one, why should anyone listen to me? What am I going to say? What is the audience going to hear? What are they going to say is most valuable? By the way, two and three, what I'm going to say and what people hear are not always the same thing. <laughs> you know, they, I may say something that's, and someone hears something different. Um, but I say this, when someone, whenever someone uses a buzzword, stop them and ask them to define it. So when someone says digital transformation, say, what is it? 
What is from your perspective? What is it? What is IIoT? What is Industry 4.0? What What do these things mean? And the reason why is because you'll know real quick whether they're using a buzzword. They just Googled terms that they may they want to make sure they drop, you know, in their conversation, or whether they actually know. Digital transformation is really simple. It's the process of going from an organization that is automated industrial processes, that is using PLCs and computers to in automate out, uh, to, to engineer out safety and engineer in efficiency in your process. Industry 4.0, digital transformation is going towards Industry 4.0, where we're automating business decisions. This is where MES comes in. How do I optimize the order in which I run things? How do I optimize the, the, the schedule? How do I decide which lots to use to produce which work in progress or finished good? Those are business decisions that we're trying to automate and have human beings evaluate from software. That's what digital transformation is. It's, it's that journey of becoming so mature that I'm no longer carrying a paper traveler down my production line. What I'm doing is I'm accessing a digital infrastructure that is giving me feedback about the events that we've been consuming, right? That's the, that's the fundamental difference, right? The, let, me, let me ask you guys this one last question and then we'll, we'll take it home. Has Rockwell Automation, so you guys are new to Rockwell, you're, you're Plex folks who have been brought into the, the, Rock, the Rockwell ecosystem. Rockwell generally in the past when it came to digital transformation, they generally took a more legacy approach, which was you would do like a roadmap up front. That roadmap, that fact-finding roadmap may take six months and cost whatever, $100,000, $250,000, And then they would chart, they would basically give you a list of use cases and you would see ROI, you know, you'd start collecting data on ROI three years from now, four years from now. But what you just talked about, Jerry, is not that approach. That's You talked about the approach we tell people to do, which is iterative, small chunks, sm short sprints. You know, you should be yielding value from your digital transformation initiative, measurable value every four to six weeks, give or take. Solve a new problem every four to six weeks. You talked about this iterative approach. Yeah, or do you feel comfortable saying that Rockwell proper has adopted that strategy or that's a focus now is the iterative approach to solving problems, but just using Rockwell solutions? Is that because that would be groundbreaking news, by the way, if that were the case? I mean, is that is that where Rockwell's mindset is at? Yes, like my opinion, 100 percent, because okay. all the conversations I'm in this research report is a Rockwell automation branded report that is out in the world. And we were using that for where, where can people get that? Where can people get that report? Right on rockwellautomation.com. You see it right on the homepage front and center, the 2023 state of smart manufacturing report. We will keep, we'll put a link. We'll put a link in the description down below. So if you're listening to this on Apple podcast or Spotify or any of the podcast platforms, you can go to YouTube, look in the description, and the link to that report will be in the description. Sorry, Jerry, go ahead. Yeah, great report, lots of awesome data. And, and it is third party. It is third party. So it is, it is an unbiased analysis because this is one of my biggest complaints with Gartner. Gartner will cook the results by – and I, I know that you guys are affiliated with Gartner, so I, obviously you don't have to comment on this. But in my, from my personal opinion, it's very easy – you look, Gartner cooks the results by pre-selecting. They use selection bias in who they query in order to get the outcomes they're looking for in the result. That's what they do. 
but if you the best way to prevent that is to use a third party strategy where your the bias can't be incorporated by the surveyor because the surveyor doesn't know who doesn't have the bias themselves for, uh, on selection of the respondents right so um you're saying this is a third party um third party analysis that the report was done on correct third party Sorry. collected all of the information perfect we did help create the questions but right. we were not involved in the collection process right you didn't have you had no say in who was selected to respond that came from a separate group correct Oh, then, then I mean, that's that's the way it needs to be done. All right. So with that, it, it, Andy and Jerry, any parting thoughts? So you guys represent Plex. If people want to know more about Plex, obviously reach out to Andy, but you can go look at Plex Manufacturing Execution System on Rockwell's website. Any other parting thoughts for you guys? Any Anything else you want to tell our audience? I guess I would say that um, I was excited to come here because this gives an opportunity for uh, manufacturers to sort of future-proof their business. Um, so that's that's what really you know gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, I do think just to talk about what Jerry was uh, just going on about that we have taken the Plex upper management and and they have taken over for Rockwell on the software side. So um, just to confirm. Yeah, just to confirm that, that we're, we're taking the methodology from Flex and bringing that into Rockwell. So that's exciting. Okay, awesome. And Jerry? It's been awesome to be here. And part of what we already touched on, just being able to question our assumptions. I love this conversation for digging into the things we're doing and really think about them and think about our audience and think about how everything we're doing impacts them and how, I don't know, these are just great discussions to have and yeah. engage. So I really appreciate being here. Yeah, I've been hyper-focused recently on, you know, we, we've engaged with SAP and I, you know, I did a podcast with SAP's Digital Manufacturing Cloud, the product owner for Digital Manufacturing Cloud. We've, we just recently did one with Schneider. We brought in Mark Pitt out from Schneider. We talked about Schneider, Aviva, uh, OSI Pi, and very similar to what Rockwell is doing, we're absorbing Plex leadership into the software to have, so Plex, Plex philosophy has more of an impact on the direction at Rockwell. Schneider Electric did a very similar thing with uh, Schneider, Aviva, and OSI Pi. In fact, we talked in detail about that that change. I'm engaging more. This year, I've, I've had three of the big players, Siemens is next, on on the podcast generally we wouldn't we've invited people but no one's ever come i mean no one wants to take the heat right i mean when i've said hey rockwell executive come here i want you to talk about your channel program let's talk about these things so we can kind of get it fixed i'm i'm really focused on you know i do believe i don't even just believe i know that the future of manufacturing and and by the future i mean between now and 2030 you know in, over the next six years we will see an explosion of interconnectedness in the digital supply chain. I mean, we already have clients who are literally links in the same supply chain who are connected together, not through just dashboards, but the raw data off of processes are being shared in real time between links in the supply chain. And we will see more and more of that between now and 2030, right? And a lot of the questions I've been asking the big players is, what is your strategy to make that a reality, right? That was part of what this discussion was about. My thoughts on Plex, I actually, I'm very intrigued 
to see where this goes. I really am. And I don't see any reason not to um, give it a spin. What I would say is this. It, I think it's absolutely critical in the software space and industry to have a land and expand model. That is to have a strategy to put software in the hands of users with zero touch. No one has to talk to someone in the channel. No one's got to talk to a business development person. If your software is so complicated that I can't onboard myself to 10 to 15% so that I can navigate through it, it's too complicated. Why? Because there is no week-long training program for an app on my mm -hmm. iPhone. There is no onboarding process for an app on my iPhone. And if what you want to do is recruit and retain the employee of the future, you have to, you have to follow the model that they're accustomed to. Right. And and I, I would I would if we had more time, I would ask about that land and expand model. But what I'd like to do is leave it with this. Andy and Jerry. Very grateful that you guys were willing to come on the podcast. I'd actually love to do it again. If you guys would be willing to do it again, I'd love to do it. If you would bring if you'd be willing to bring um, a product engineer or one of your your services, someone in your services group on with you and we could have a more comprehensive conversation about post-assessment onboarding. So I'm, I'm gonna be, what does that journey look like? After the assessment, we've identified the problems, we've recognized, we now know Plex is right for me, we're right for one another. What does that process look like? What is, what is a typical six to 12 month journey look like? And have some discussions about the nuts and bolts. I'd if you guys are willing to do that, I'd love to, I'd love to do that and do it this summer. We'd be more than willing to do that. All right, awesome. Um, and quickly, quickly, Walker, yeah. I just want to say I did a lot of research by watching your podcasts and and I learned a lot and everything seems to be spot on. So, uh, so I, I appreciate it. Just um, I did it for for myself, but uh, but I did learn a lot. So, hey, thanks. Andy, where are you? Where are you? You're in the Northeast, obviously. Are you in Connecticut? You said I'm in Connecticut up in the northwestern. And, and Gary, you're where are you? I'm in Rhode Island. You're in Rhode Island. Okay. I mean, you guys have the Northeast summer look in the windows behind you. So I, I mean, growing up in upstate New York, I, I say to people all the time, there's no better place on the planet than the Northeastern United States in the summertime. It sucks in the winter, but in the summer, there's nothing better. So, uh, I, I'm, you're making my heart swell by looking at those trees in the, cause we don't have those here in Dallas at this time of year. Right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank, thank you All for right. joining us. Those of you like, subscribe, comment down below. Include the questions you'd want me to ask in a follow-up podcast with these guys, especially around the onboarding um, section of it. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Great. Walker, 